Hey, this is Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. And I've been on that show. It's a good show, I think. I have to, I'm still figuring out how to listen to podcasts. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder, and it's another edition of PF's third favorite band, question mark. And this week's contestants, uh, similar to last week's contestants, and that they're related if you listened to the previous episode, uh, you will remember that I went through the uh, history of these two bands because they kind of are, are connected. Well, not kind of, they actually are connected. I have been 17 this week's contestant, and like last week's contestant, Human League, kind of a long shot. Again, if this were a, uh, a tournament, uh, they would definitely be a lower seed, you know, 14, 15, 16 in there, but I still like them a lot. And they still, there's just a, a case to be made, certainly. Now, uh, to review quickly, uh, Human League formed in 1977 in Sheffield. They produced two albums. There's some artistic differences. Uh, Phil Oakey and uh, splits with his other two partners, Martin Ware and Ian Craig Marsh. Uh, the two go off to form, eventually form Heaven 17, while Phil goes on to uh, to keep the Human League name and kind of form an entirely new band uh, with him. And then he gets the girls, uh, Suzanne Sully and Joanne Catherall and uh, Joe Callis and Ian Burden and all, and all those guys. And uh, yeah, and then... Uh, the other two, Ian Craig Marsh and Martin Ware, get Glenn Gregory, a guy they had originally wanted to be the singer in Human League. Uh, he's now become available, uh, focusing less on his photography and other artwork, and becomes the lead singer of Heaven 17. And Heaven 17 released uh, their first album in 1980, I guess it is. It's right around the same time Human League released Dare. And in fact, the albums are recorded at the same time. Still a lot of ill will between the two parties. Well, mostly between Phil and the two dudes. The rest of the bands, I don't really give, don't really think, uh, give much uh, of a toss, as they say, in England. But uh, I guess the recording, Human League is recording Dare in the daytime downstairs in the studio. Heaven 17 are using uh, the same studio at night uh, to record Penthouse and Pavement. Of course, Dare does much better commercially than Penthouse and Pavement. Although Penthouse and Pavement receives almost equal critical acclaim as a landmark synth pop album. And uh, although I I don't like it as much as the album, but the Beach Boys song I have chosen uh, is interesting in that I'm trying to avoid the big, big hits, although I decided to play this one because it is important in Beach Boys history because it is the first song to feature Bruce Johnston. And uh, Bruce, of course, joins the band when Brian decides he does no longer wants to tour with the band, but he wants to stay in the studio and create music. And this is another interesting point with the Beach Boys is that, and even Mike Love says this, Mike Love says, you know, and you're going to hear it on this song, you can definitely this song makes a great case for this argument is that the Beach Boys are a vocal group. They're not really a band, which is really kind of nonsense. And I don't know if Mike Love feels that way because he's not really uh, an instrument musician. He doesn't really play an instrument. He's always just been a vocalist. And well, not just been, but you know what I mean. And so I think that's kind of where that notion comes along because there's it's there's such great uh, they do such a great job at the vocals and the harmonies and all that that it is easy to overshadow the fact that they're also really excellent musicians and it's become more and more so over time you know with with practice and touring for years and years and years. So anyway, because um, back in the day in the '60s around this time, it is not uncommon for bands like uh, I guess the Birds and and people like that uh, you know the Monkees for a time even though they were created you know for TV and everything, but uh, to have studio musicians 
do all the music on a record and then the band just supply the vocals. And even sometimes those are sweetened by, you know, studio musicians and singers. But not with the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys play all their own instruments on their recordings all the way up through, up to Pet Sounds, which we will get to in a future episode. And uh, so they're still playing their own stuff. They're singing their own stuff. They're getting very little help from studio musicians at this point. Although Brian really wants to expand and really explore. And the only way to do that is to use studio musicians because the rest of the band will be out touring and making money and keeping the operation afloat. So anyway, we get to California Girls. California Girls, written by Mike Love and Brian Wilson. A little controversial. For years and years, only Brian's name appeared on it. There was that lawsuit back in the 80s or 90s where Mike sued to get the royalties because he he thought he was owed because he he co-wrote the song. and if he, he says in his book that he wasn't really in it for the money, and I'll, I'll take him at his word for that. I, I believe that. I'm more Team Mike than I am Team Brian, and I'll explain that in a future episode. But, um, you know, if you listen to the lyrics, it's they're clearly Mike lyrics, and even the way the melody is constructed, it's a, it's a very Mike song in that aspect. And then, of course, you know, Brian musically and arranging the harmonies and the vocals and everything like that. But again, uh, first appearance of Bruce Johnson on the record. He joined Glenn Campbell's Briefly a Member to tour with the band uh, to finish a tour of the South that Brian abandons in favor of staying in Los Angeles. And then they have to hire somebody permanently. Glenn is not interested in the gig full-time. They find Bruce Johnston, and he joins the band, and this is the first song he appears on. And of course, like I said, this makes a great case for the argument that the Beach Boys are really more of a vocal group. This is California Girls. California Girls from the Beach Boys. There you go, the first appearance of Bruce Johnston, and then uh, many great things to come in the wake of this. I, this becomes a number one hit, I believe, their second number one single. I should look that up beforehand. Uh, now we come to my uh, other favorite band, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. We're, we're going chronologically through the catalog because I didn't know other, what other way to do this. We're, we arrive at the third album, Architectural Morality. Speaking of landmark albums, uh, still considered to be their best, I would say, the layperson that knows OMD uh, probably cites this, especially the British fans would note this as the, their best album for sure. Uh, features three big hit singles, would have featured a fourth, but uh, Andy McCluskey, uh, stupidly, as he re- as he admits, uh, did not want to overexpose the band and release "She's Leaving" as a fourth single. Didn't want to. It was too. Com- that'd be too commercial to release four singles from an album. It would overexpose the band. And, to the, and he said in a radio interview recently, he goes, "What an idiot I was." But anyway, so Enola Gay from the previous album uh, goes to number eight or so. And then they release this song, which becomes uh, one of their highest charting singles. It, it will tie for another song, uh, Souvenir. And Anola Gay, most songs are written by the two 
main members, uh, Paul Humphreys and Andy McCluskey. Uh, this one is not. Anola Gay was written only by Andy McCluskey. Souvenir is written by Paul Humphreys with help from Martin Cooper, who will become a permanent member later on. And uh, a guy named David Hughes helps out in that he finds these uh, recordings of choral uh, or I don't know how he got a hold of him. He was doing work for the uh, Liverpool Symphony Orchestra, maybe, or something. I don't know. He came across these tapes, and, and Bob Humphreys was like, hey, I'll record these for you and put them on a reel-to-reel if you let me borrow them to use for one of our songs. And he's like, sure, why not? They also bring along a miniature called a Mellotron. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Look it up. Uh, Beatles used one once on one song. <laughs> Paid all this money for it, used it once on one song. Used it on Strawberry Fields. And uh, anyway, the... Um, so OMD, you bring a Mellotron in for this song. I think they'd use it on the rest of the album as well, but it's really prominent on this song. And uh, it's uh, it's a little little different, but still very OMD. Like I said, it goes to number three. It is still one of their signature songs. They named their whole uh, singles compilation that came out last year after the song, and this is Souvenir. Souvenir by OMD goes to number three in the UK. I think, the, no, it does not chart anywhere else. It doesn't chart in North America. It charts all over Europe uh, and in other parts of the world. It does not chart in North America. But again, one of their signature songs named their uh, singles compilation after it last year from the album Architecture and Morality. Now we get up back to uh, Heaven 17. Uh, it is around the same time that I think it's uh, just a year before this that Heaven 17 released Penthouse and Pavement, and again, now considered to be a landmark synth pop album. And here is the title track from Penthouse and Pavement. The title track from Penthouse and Pavement. Uh, you can see why uh, that is now, in, in retrospect, a landmark album. It was originally going to be a lot more electronic, but they flavored it with some uh, what you call acoustic instruments there, uh, with the the bass and and things like that. They decided to use a real bass instead of make, uh, a 
synth, uh, a synthesized one, because at the time, synthesized bass uh, was not really... It was hard to get a good sound for it, and we'll explain that in a further episode with a, another one of my possibly third favorite bands. They kind of cracked the code on that, and I'll explain later. So that brings us up to the second album, which I like a lot better than the first album. It's called The Luxury Gap, and we're going to play two songs from that because I love them so much. One is a song that did chart in the U.S. I think it got to like 60-odd in the chart if I recall correctly. It's a song called Let Me Go. If you know Heaven 17, this is probably the song that you know because it's been covered by a bunch of people. And uh, this, uh, the big song from this album is Temptation. It becomes a massive hit in the UK. It goes to number three. I believe it's their highest charting single ever. ever. They don't get the number one like Human League does with a couple songs, but they get the number uh, three with Temptation. But uh, I'm not a big Temptation guy, to be honest. There's two other songs I like on this album way more. And uh, this is one of them. I think this is one of the best songs of the New Wave era, as a matter of fact. This is Let Me Go. Go by Heaven 17. Certainly, I think their best song and one of the best songs of the New Wave era. Another great song from this album. It's very much of the time, but still, still, uh, it still resonates. It's, I think it still, uh, it still holds up. It's called Crushed by the Wheels of Industry. Uh, this was not a very big hit over there, shockingly, but uh, it's still a great tune, and here it is. Just 
by the wheels of industry lots of great hooks in that one uh again should have been a bigger hit was not it's got a great remix on the uh, remix album from heaven 17 that i enjoy a lot so this brings us uh, those two albums do pretty well um even though the, the singles don't chart really high from either album the albums do really well in the album chart in the uk and it brings us to an album in 1984 called how men are uh this one doesn't do as well in the album chart the singles don't do particularly well, but there's a couple of really great songs on here. Uh, I had a hard time deciding between Sunset Now and This Is Mine, although I think I went with This Is Mine because, which might be my favorite, uh, second favorite Heaven 17 tune. This is a point where they've um, gone like Human League and some other bands at the time. Well, I guess OMD did the same thing and uh, Depeche Mode did not. Uh, opted to kind of start mixing in, Thompson Twins did this, mixing in more traditional instruments, but keeping it mostly electronic. But uh, with flavored with, it was opposed to a lot of bands of the time. Overall, were like you know traditional instruments. Well, we have a keyboard player. We'll flavor it with some with some keyboards. Well, they do the opposite. You got some horns. You got some you know live bass on this thing. And uh, this is another cracking tune. This is called "This Is Mine." This is mine from Heaven 17. Uh, like I said, the album does okay. Uh, they take a few years off. They come back in 1987 with an album called Pleasure One. And I like Pleasure One. Uh, it's a little uneven, but the three singles are really good. Uh, it 
Trouble, Contenders, and a song called Red. Uh, again, had a hard time deciding between the two leadoff singles, which were Trouble and Contenders. Uh, doesn't sound exactly like how men are, but it fits really well after it. And uh, the video, at the time the band was, I guess, having uh, financial troubles because to make the video for the song, uh, the label only sent Glenn Gregory to Los Angeles to film the video. And he wanders around and he's like hit upon by all these the girls, all women and Glenn. And he, he, everywhere he goes in Los Angeles, women are hitting on him and say, give me your phone number and call me and things like that. Uh, no other men of any kind appear in the video. And uh, the other two members of the band aren't even in the video. But anyway, this is a, a great tune. This is Trouble. great melody great beat as the young people used to say and then uh again this album does, does not do well in the chart does not do well either the singles don't chart anywhere i think they uh, are minor hits in some european countries i don't think trouble or contenders even crack the top 40 in the uk and then again they take another couple years off they come back with uh another album uh called teddy bear duke and psycho this is in 1988 and uh so uninspired is the label by this album that they reluctantly release it in the uk it is not released in the united states uh their label that they're on now at this point virgin records which is the label they've been on since the beginning uh did not have u.s operations for the first couple of albums they by the time pleasure one comes out they do uh but they do they decide not to release the album here instead they release it the following year and early 1989 on a subsidiary label called Caroline Records, which is a, a label that I can't remember who else was on that that you might know from that. But anyway, I remember working in radio at the time, and a gal from uh, Caroline called up, and she said she's pushing one of the groups, and I said, well, what else have you got? She goes, well, we've got this album by Heaven 17 that we really aren't pushing, uh, but it's something we have, and we had just started the station. It was April of 1989. I'm like, I love Heaven 17. Please send that album immediately. And there's some good stuff on here. There's a cu- couple good tunes. Uh, this the lead single, Go Go Brown, is panned widely by the British music press, and I have no idea why. They say they're trying to be something they're not. It doesn't sound like Heaven 17 at all, none of which is true. You could have fit this right in with uh, between, like, yeah, uh, How Men Are, Pleasure One. It fits right in with that. It's uh, a little rockier, but it's still very Latter-day Heaven 17, at least at the time. It's very Pleasure One. It's very... Uh, like I said, how men are, but it's just a little rockier. That's all. And uh, it's, it's, it still sounds very Heaven 17 to me. Have you heard the first five songs I played? See what you think. If you asked him why they called him Goga Brown, he'd say it's because he go goes all around town. 
If you asked him why some people put him down He'd say it's cause his name is Go-Go Brown All the girls in town used to follow him around Go-Go Brown, Go-Go Brown All the boys would sing, we're gonna make that Go-Go King Go-Go Brown, Go-Go Brown One day that boy will be our president All the church bells ring When that go-go used to sing Go-go ground Go-go ground Hear the people say He's gonna be someone someday Go-go ground Go-go ground Then one day some bad man came to call He took some crack, he sold some smack And now he's in the pen All the girls in town Used to follow him around So the Ballad of Go-Go Brown from Heaven 17 from the album Teddy Bear, Duke, and Psycho. Uh, the band takes time off. And again, similar to Human League, released some albums in the 90s and 2000s that I should probably go back and revisit that I'm not even super familiar with. Uh, they released a live album called The Very Best of Live. They didn't tour much back in the day, but they've been touring a lot in the past couple of years, which is kind of strange. Uh, Ian Craig Marsh leaves the group. Uh, they released an album, I think in 2008, called Naked is Advertised, which is their last actual studio album. Uh, like I said, they still tour to this day, but the last, and, the, and that isn't even really a studio album in that it's just reworkings of a couple of songs from when uh, Martin Ware was in Human League. Uh, you get being boiled, and I think Empire Brain Human is in there, and they do a cover of a, an Associates tune called Party Fears 2, and then they re- rework some Heaven 17 songs. It, it's fine. I don't think bands need to rework songs. Blamange did the same thing uh, with one of their albums, Happy Endings. They tried to, it was, or no, second, I what they what they called it, but he, they, one dude went back and redid them all, and it's like, eh. I don't know why you needed to do this. Uh, I would have preferred some new stuff, but there you have it. So that's the case there for Heaven 17 being PF's third favorite band. Again, good middle. Um, wasn't keen on, like I said, the first two Human League albums. So it's one of those rare cases where when a band splits up, you get two better bands. This will happen with uh, Depeche Mode, who we'll discuss down the road. Um, but yeah, Heaven 17... Strong contender, um, as it were. Well, there's songs that call contenders, but you know, not not quite the get that oomph to get, I guess, into the uh, the top of the uh, of the the PF chart there. But still, really like this band a lot. And if you're not familiar, uh, you should definitely go back and visit. Honorable mention band may shock a lot of people. My honorable mention band is U2, and people be like, U2, they're one of the biggest bands on the planet. How are they not even in this tournament? Well, I like 80s U2 a lot. 90s U2 is fine, but uh, as far as them being like the biggest band in the world, I know people are mad for them. Uh, my friend Brian, his favorite band is The Alarm. His second favorite band is U2. By the way, he posted the other day, he does not get the Beach Boys. I gotta have to straighten that man out. From Scotland, maybe that's something to do with it. I don't know. But anyway, uh, U2, of course, the, one of the biggest bands in the world. I like 80s U2 just fine, but and, and I, I liked all the albums, but it was just never... They, I, I don't know. It's just one of those things. That just, not that it didn't take, but it, I just didn't get 
quite as absorbed as other people, say. A couple bands like that uh, in the 80s where you would be surprised to find that they're not going to make this uh, list, actually, and might not even make the honorable mention list. It's crazy. But the U2 I like in the 80s, I like a lot. And I'm late to the U2 party only in that I come to the U2 party in 1983, which is well before the rest of the planet, most of the rest of the planet. It is, uh, for the real hardcore U2 stands, uh, it is, I'm actually like three years late. They released their first album in 1980. I don't really catch wind of them until I get MTV. And right after that, uh, they release an album, a live album uh, called Under a Blood Red Sky. It's recorded at Red Rocks in Denver, Colorado. This becomes important down the road. Keep that venue in mind. It becomes important for another one of PF's third favorite bands, question mark. Uh, anyway, uh, I saw this video, and I'm like, wow, these guys are really cool. This is great, and uh, it's a live version of their song, Gloria. I soon, I think within a couple of days, uh, MTV is also going back and playing the original video from Gloria, where they're standing on this platform in the middle of a harbor in uh, Dublin, their hometown. And, uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the studio version, but I've always thought you 2 and I think anyone who's even casually knows the band will agree that they're, they're a really good live band, and I actually think they're a, a better live live band than a studio band but anyway this is the song that got me into them and uh this is gloria live from red rocks in denver colorado your honorable mention band U2 Gloria uh, still a great tune still uh, and always it got me wanting to always go to uh, Red Rocks uh, which eventually happens that is details on that to come in a future episode we are now up to the song of the week song of the week is from Miley Cyrus yes we had Miley Cyrus as a song of the week about four weeks ago, her cover of Heart of Glass by Blondie, but it happens that way sometimes because uh, I, I heard this a couple of weeks later, it just came out, and she features Dua Lipa, the British uh, singer-songwriter, and uh, it's uh, really good, although we may have to have a crime song investigation. The hook, I think, borrows a little bit from Physical by Olivia Newton-John. See what you think. But uh, it's a good tune. I like it. Again, if uh, Miley were a dude running around being all rock and roll people would be like, oh, you... But I think she gets a lot of slack because she's a girl, and people don't like that from girls. And uh, you can all just sawed off, as the British say, because um, there's nothing wrong with that. All right, so here you go. Here's Miley Cyrus and Dua Lipa with uh, the song is called Prisoner, and it is our song of the week on PF's tape recorder. Uh, we'll look at another potential candidate for PF's third favorite band next week. In the meantime, enjoy Miley Cyrus featuring Dua Lipa, Prisoner. PF's tape recorder, so long, and thanks for listening. Prisoner. Prisoner locked up, can't get you off my mind, off my mind Lord knows I tried a million times, million times Oh, oh why can't you 
Just let me go.